1: 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word.
0: Happy today? I said, are you happy today? You know, we're going to be finishing today, concluding our series on relationships. Say that with me, relationships. And over the past month, we've been talking much about relationships and the importance of being connected to the right people. Because here's the thought that we've presented throughout the entirety of this month. Here's our slogan. Here's our phrase. Here's our standard. Whatever you want to say. And that is this. If I am not connected to the right things... I will never make it to the right places. Can you help me with that today and say that with me? Are you ready? If I'm not connected to the right things, I'll never make it to the right places. I'm going to say this about that too. Exceptions are only temporary. You may say, well, I'm an exception to that because I'm not really around good people and things are happening in my life. Exceptions are only temporary. It may appear at first to have no negative effect on you, but it will eventually, trust me, if you're around the wrong crowd, you're going to find yourself in the wrong places. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of of his friends. I like to add this to that verse, and lead will take you to the bottom. Iron sharpeneth iron, but lead will take you to the bottom. One translation says, you use steel to sharpen steel, and one friend sharpens another. So you've got to watch the connections that you have. You've got to watch the people you're rubbing up against, because they're either going to sharpen your life, or they're going to dull you. They're going to take the edge off your life. I like what Shamika said in our small group on Wednesday night. She said, Pastor Philip, I'm so thankful that you've taught a series when it comes to relationships because it's perfect timing. And she went on just briefly to share about the fact in just giving her life to the Lord, there's a lot of people in her life that she knows that she needs to set boundaries on that relationship because she don't do those things no more. Come on, she's a new person. God's come into her life. She's not better than anyone else, but she just wants to live a life that exemplifies God in her life. And I'm thankful for that testimony. Now, I know that there are others. And today, again, I want to look at relationships in this thought. How can I be full? How can I live full? In the relationships, the connections, the world, life, how can I remain full? And have something that is still left to give to others. If you're taking notes, write down these words. I need to get selfish. I need to get selfish. A lot of people think we're contradicting the word of God with that. But we're not. We need to get selfish. What does that mean? I've got to maintain myself so I have something to give to other people. Peter and John on the way to the temple to pray. I use this passage a lot. But they said, such as I have, give I thee. What would have happened that day if they didn't have anything to give? We're not being selfish and getting it for ourselves, but we're getting it for what reason? So we can give it to other people. If you just keep it for yourself, that's the wrong selfishness, but you've got to get it in order first so you can then, in turn, give it to other people. So today I want to challenge you with this thought. In your relationships, in your life, are you leaking or are you overflowing? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to look again at the example of Jesus. There's no greater example that there could ever be for our lives than the example of Jesus. And verse 13 of Matthew and 14 says this, When Jesus heard it, he, de- he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. When Jesus heard it, what had Jesus just heard? He had just heard that his friend, John the Baptist, had been murdered, had been killed. He was grieving. He was in sorrow. So what did he want to do? He wanted to deal with those emotions and those feelings. He wanted to separate himself from everyone around for what reason that he could find the comfort, that he could find the prayer and the strength that he needed. And you know, every one of us, there's times in our life we need that space. Anyone relate with me that sometimes you just need to separate yourself and just to get away? Jesus did that too, and he knew the importance of it. But let's read on. It says, when the multitude heard it, they weren't concerned about John dying. That's not what it's talking about. When they heard where Jesus was going, what did they do? They followed him on foot from the cities. So when he was trying to pray, his time was interrupted by the multitude and their great need. He had compassion on them, if you would read in that chapter. He turns to them, he heals them, he prays for them, he goes to send them away. And one of his disciples said, Jesus, it's late, we can't send them out, we need to get them something to eat. And a miraculous miracle takes place that day when they do an inventory of what they have and all they have is five loaves and two fishes. But when it was given to Jesus, placed in his hands, he looked up to heaven, he blessed it, he broke it, he multiplied it and he fed about 20,000 people that day. The Bible records the men who were present, 5,000 men. There were women and children, probably about 15 to 20, probably plus thousand people. But how many knows even if there was a hundred people there, five loaves and two fishes was still a miracle. huh? Because we're talking about a little boy's sack lunch. We're not talking about fish that are this big. We're talking about little ones like a little can of tuna or something like that that the little boy had in his lunch box. A couple of crackers to go with it, but it fed a multitude. An awesome miracle, but that's not where I want us to focus today. Would you jump beyond that and come with me to verse 22 and verse 23? And the Bible says this, and immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He's just done the miracle and he sends his disciples ahead of him while he sends the multitude away. Verse 23, and when he had said the, sent the multitude away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. Now when it was evening or when the evening came, he was alone there. Again, the story doesn't end. A great story that the disciples found themselves in a storm. Jesus goes out, says, peace be still, and they make it to the other side. But here's something I want you to see today. Thank God for the miracles, the feeding, the peace through the storm. But I believe so many times we can perhaps read those things and miss perhaps something that is vitally as important as well. And that is this, before and after, Jesus withdrew. Jesus withdrew Himself for what reason? So He could be full of God. He withdrew Himself so He could get alone with His Father. He withdrew Himself so He could be full of God of God. And if you would notice just in this case, the two times that he gets alone with God, notice the interruption. You notice how people invaded into that time. Isn't it amazing when we try and get alone with God, our phone hasn't rang all day and it rings off the hook. Isn't it amazing that the kids don't need nothing until you try and get alone and then they start fighting and the problems. Jesus suffered that too. Why? Because Satan knows the power that can be found. When children of God withdraw themselves to seek God. He withdrew himself. Jesus understood something that we must grasp. And I pray you're taking notes today. You need to write this down. The only way you can get what you need is in the presence of God. Two people liked that. Come on, I said, the only way, you've got to understand this, Jesus knew this, and we need to grasp this and understand this. The only way you can truly get what you need is in the presence of God, to spend time with him. And it's no wonder, therefore, that that time is so under attack. Look at Psalm 16, verse 1. It gives us just a taste of what's available when we get into the presence of God, when we spend time with Him. What does it say? You will show me the path of life. That's pretty important. I mean, you will show me the pathway of life, the pathway to take. In other words, God, you're going to direct me. Where? Because in your presence... There is fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures, treasures, everything, the provision of God for evermore. I mean, that's a pretty good taste of just being in the presence of God right there. Direction for my life, joy and peace, fullness through my life, that there is provision that comes through being in the presence of God. I don't believe I lie today when I tell you this. To get in the presence of God is to receive everything that you could ever need. In other words, in Him is the answer to everything and anything that you could ever need. Jesus stayed so full that He overflowed the love, the presence of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, and he didn't leak out. I want to show you an illustration, if I may, today. Kelly, sweetheart, can you come and help me a second? I want to show you an illustration today. Can you come and hold this mic for me? Is that good? We've got two glasses here. From where you're sitting, these glasses look very much the same. But one of these glasses has got some holes in the bottom of it. And one of it is perfectly fine. Look what begins to happen when I pour water into a broken glass. It leaks out. But notice if I take the same water and pour it into a completely whole glass that's not broken. Look what happens. It doesn't leak out. It overflows. It overflows. Today, both of these cups, both dispersed water. But only one is left full. The one that leaks is empty and has nothing to give. Thanks, man. I wonder today if you're leaking or if you're overflowing. Remember, we're a limited resource. As as big and bad as we think we are, we're a limited resource. We can only go so far before we burn out. We can only go without sleep for so long before we just crash. I mean, we're a limited resource. I can't be everything to anyone and still have something left to give. I'm going to come to an end of myself. Do you understand that? We're a limited resource. And as a result of that... I've got to remind myself that my life cannot sustain more withdrawals than deposits because it's going to bankrupt my life. So I have got to evaluate my position or my condition. Too many of us are empty and all we're doing is we're dispersing water but we're just leaking out to others around. Yes, we're dispensing but it's leaving us what? Empty. Empty. But when we're full, what happens? We begin to overflow the blessing, the life, the peace of God. No matter how big and bad you are, you can't sustain an empty position for long. You can't sustain yourself in that condition for long. My life has to be so full of of God, that everywhere I go, every moment I'm touching people, what am I doing? I'm overflowing the joy, the peace, the excitement, the love, the grace, the mercy of God everywhere I go. And when I am overflowing that, my cup stays full. My cup stays full. I just really want to get practical with you today. Can I get practical with you today? I want to give you some life-changing helps that I believe are going to help keep your life full. Number one, you got to learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. And when you learn how to pray, it's probably a good thing to pray. You know, when I learned how to ride a bike, I just didn't learn to ride a bike so I could just put it on my resume, you know. I mean, I can ride a bike. I learned how to ride a bike so my bike could take me to places. I was tired of walking when I could get there four times as fast riding a bike. So I learned how to ride a bike, for what reason? So I could ride it. It's amazing how many people today know how to pray, but they don't pray. It's amazing how many people confess their life to Christ and I'm a child of God and I love people and they even say, I'll pray for you, but they don't because they don't even pray for themselves, never mind you. Those who are around Jesus, the disciples of Jesus said to him these words, Luke 11 verse 1, they're around Jesus and now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, would you teach us? How to pray. They saw something in the way Jesus prayed that they wanted to be a part of. I want to pray like Jesus prayed. I want to know what it is to touch the Father when I pray. Today, perhaps your prayer life falls under one of these categories. Maybe you're not sure if God really listens when you pray and you talk to Him. Maybe today you don't understand how you should pray. Maybe you wonder if the way you're praying is even right. Am I doing it right? I mean, am I holding my hands the right way? Am I closing my eyes? Am I bowing my head? Am I doing it the right way? Maybe today you don't understand why some prayers seem to go unanswered. Can I just throw this out for you? That no is just an answer to. That no is an answer to. just wanted to say that today. Perhaps today you get frustrated when you pray. Perhaps you lack the desire to pray. Later maybe God. Perhaps you want to feel more connected to God and gain a confidence that your prayers are even making a greater difference and they are making a difference and there are other things that you can look at and say my prayer life falls under these. And if your life falls under one of those, here's what you need to do. You need to ask God to teach you how to pray. Ask Jesus to teach you how to pray for you to begin to understand the excitement and the joy that there is in prayer. Here's what prayer simply is. Can I just give you the simple definition of prayer is this. It's nothing more than talking to God. Comma, not period. And taking time to listen to what He wants to say to you. Prayer is talking with God, but not a one-way conversation, but allowing Him to talk back. Prayer is conversating with God, talking to God, being in communion with God, being connected to God. And that's a good connection to be connected to. If I want my life to be full and overflowing, I've got to learn how to pray. I've got to learn how to pray. I think the reason so many times we struggle with prayer is because we try to make it so formal, we try to make it so dead, we try to make it so so correct, we try to make it such a ritualistic thing, we try to copy how other people pray and pray like them, and therefore prayer just doesn't have much meaning, if any meaning, to us. But it's almost like we feel forced into doing it, it's an obligation as a child of God, I guess I have to pray. But I believe God has a unique prayer life just for you. I believe God's got a personal prayer life just for you. That perhaps the way you pray is going to be different to me, but that's okay because that's you. And we try to fit ourselves in everyone else's image and mold, and as a result, we get discouraged and we get down. I'm telling you, ask God to teach you how to pray. Look what it says in Psalms 145, verse 18. I love this passage when it comes to prayer. The Bible says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. That's basically everyone who prays to God. God is near to them. But look what it goes on to say, To all who go to... Can you go back? Thank you. To all who call upon Him in what? Truth. I wonder how many times we lie when we pray. Huh? God, I thank you for this day. God, you're awesome. You're incredible. No, I've had a stinky, awful, miserable day. My dogs ran away. She really did run away. We found her. The washer and dryer's broke. The boss has cut my hours at work. But yet we come, oh, Lord, I love you. You're wonderful. Life is great. You know, life is great and life still is great. But I just think that verse there, really, God is asking more from us than that. I think God's asking for us to be real with Him. God, you know what's going on. I don't need to tell you. But you know what? I need some help. I need some encouragement. Because you know what? I'm struggling today. I'm just struggling with things in my mind. Struggling with fear. I'm battling doubt. I'm battling these things. You know what? God promises to draw near to those who call upon Him in truth. In truth. Be truthful with God. Let Him know what's going on. Don't lie to God, but be honest. Look what this next thought that I give. When we pray, we give it to Him, and then what happens? He can give it back to us fixed. He can give it back to us. When I've got a problem, I can't solve it. I'm probably the reason for my problem. But as I give my problems to God, He promised to be my Great problem bearer. He promises to carry it. And what does God do? God sends the solution. He fixes the problem and sends back the answer to my life. But he won't do that if I don't first give it to him. Everything Jesus did in his life was sandwiched around prayer. He would pray in the morning. Why would he pray in the morning? Because he knew if he made the necessary deposits first thing in the day, he could make withdrawals all day long. If you're making the necessary deposits in your life, you can make the withdrawals. Why? Because your life is full. Because you're full of God and a full life can overflow and not leak out. One writer wrote this. He says, I have realized that prayer is a great privilege and not a duty. How often do we make it a chore to do it? And when it becomes a chore, no wonder we don't do it. Have you ever seen a kid that really enjoys their chores? Take out the trash. Woo! yippee, my favorite time of the day. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Clean your room. Ho ho! I've been waiting all day for you to say that. What a great, oh man, fantastic. What do you get? Oh, can I do it later? Why have I got to do it? Why can't they do it? Why is it always me that's doing it? Come on, we know what it is to be bound by a chore. It's an obligation. We want to pass the buck. We don't want to be a part of it. But that's never what prayer should be for our lives. Don't put yourself under pressure. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Give him five minutes a day. People say to me, Pastor Philip, man, I love God. I'm going to give him five hours a day in prayer. No, you're not. I'm gonna get up at four o'clock in the morning every day and I'm gonna pray for two hours before I go to work, liar. <laughs> may work for day one. You may be awake at four, but you're probably back asleep at four fifteen. Come on, do I have a witness in the house? <laughs> Bible says what the flesh is or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay? Here's what I wanna challenge every one of you to do. How many can give God five minutes a day? Just give God five minutes of prayer a day. Don't put yourself under pressure. But I'm telling you, five minutes will change not only your day, but five minutes will change your life. Five minutes a day. Why are you saying five? Because it's a great starting place. Because when you give him five, you're going to start giving him six. And you're going to start giving him seven. And your prayers are going to grow the right way instead of giving him two hours and only giving him one minute. Or five hours and giving him no minutes. Grow into it. Ask God to teach you to pray, to pray. And through prayer, we fill up our cup so that you and I can overflow to others around us. When we pray, it begins to build confidence in our trust in God, that when we pray, we start getting excited and expecting things to happen. One person said this, and I love this statement. It's amazing how many coincidences happen. When we begin to pray. But it's not a coincidence, is it? It's because we are giving it to God. When you say, Lord, teach me to pray, you are asking Him to teach you to pray in a distinctly personal way and enable your prayers to be easy and natural expressions of who you are. Talk to God how you are. Talk to Him in your way. Smith Wigglesworth, an incredible man of God, said these words, I seldom pray for more than 15 minutes a day, but there are seldom 15 minutes that don't go by in a day when I don't pray. What did he say? I don't pray for long periods of time, but I make sure long periods of time don't go by that I don't pray. Prayer wants to be a part of your life. If Jesus did it, we need to do it, not out of obligation, but out of desire. There's so much we could talk about on prayer, but here's the nuts and the bolts about it. Here's the truth about prayer, and that is this just do it. Just do it. Nike stole that slogan. Just do it. It works. He hears. It changes situations. It fills me with His presence that when I come into a circumstance, I can overflow with God. When someone at work is having problems, I don't have to leak out and then be devastated for the rest of the day because I've got nothing left to give. But I can have something inside of me that when I walk in, I'm going to say, hey, I was just praying for that this morning, that you can overflow the blessings of God in your life. Come on, look at your neighbor. You say, leaking or overflowing? Practical tip number two. Number one, pray. Number two, spend time with God. Spend time with God. Wait on God. You may say, hold on a second, Pastor P, isn't that prayer? Yes, prayer is part of that, but prayer is not the totality of that. Wait on God. Spend time with God. And it does involve prayer, but it's also that which accompanies or comes after our prayer. Look what Psalms Isaiah sorry, 40 verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall have their strength renewed. The Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To have a time when we wait on God, I think it's so important that we try to set time aside to enjoy God's presence. Yes, pray, but yet enjoy His presence. Just enjoy the moment. Maybe turn on a CD and listen to worship, read your Bible, whatever. We're going to be talking about those in a moment. I don't want to jump ahead, but that's all part of waiting on God, but that's not it in its totality. Jerry Hunt, when he preached for our anniversary, gave us four definitions of the word wait in that passage of Scripture. He says wait is four things. Number one, it means to be silent. Be silent. Psalm 46 verse 10, Be still and know that I am god i heard this said once and i wrote it down when i was listening to a preacher i take notes when people preach preacher said this if you don't know silence and you don't know stillness you don't really know god if you don't know stillness and quietness you don't really know god spending time with god is never time that's wasted When we need something, I think many times we're good at praying about it, but we're not so good about being patient and waiting on God for the answer. We give it to God, but waiting on God is our problem, isn't it? Maybe it's only me. Maybe I'm just talking to myself today, but I've got a sneaky suspicion that there's other people that are the same way as me. The worst thing I can do in my life is hurry God. I've got to wait on him at the right time. He will speak. And when there's an adjustment that's needed, he will give it. To hurry God is to say God doesn't know what he's doing. It's to doubt God. I think we need to learn how to wait on God. Turn the cell phone off. Get away from all the hustle and the bustle, even if it's just for a few moments. And just sit in the quietness of God and just let him minister to your spirit. Second definition of waiting is to have anticipation. That when I seek God, I'm anticipating to hear from Him. There's an expectancy that will rise inside of me. Expect God to speak to you. Expect God to help you. Come on, expect for God to guide your life. But He can't do it if you don't listen. If you don't spend time with Him. Third definition is to take notice. Well, what does that mean, Pastor P? It means that as you begin to observe the things God says through His Word and that what He gives into your spirit, what does it happen? You begin to realize what's available to you. Take notice that you're a child of God. Take notice that the promises that He's given you. Take note that He says you shall walk on things and you shall drink things and they won't hurt you, they won't harm you. Take notice that He says greater is You He that is in you and he that is in the world. Take notice that you're special, that you're a pearl of great price. Take notice what God's word says, that you shall do greater works, Jesus said, even than what I have done. Take notice of those things as you're in the stillness of God. Take notice. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has what? Prepared. Why has God prepared them for you? Get in His presence, in His stillness. Take notice of those things. Anticipate the expectance of He. And the last thing that that word wait means, to entrench yourself into. Dig into it. What do you mean dig into it? You've got to f- sometimes you've got to be so dug in because the world wants to dig you out. The world wants you to get out of that place, that trust, that abiding that believing. You've got to entrench yourself and say, no matter what, devil, you messed with me long enough. I'm waiting on God. I'm trusting God. I'm entrenching myself in that. I'm adhering to that. That's another meaning. I'm adjusting to it. Stake your claim. Refuse to be denied. So the Bible says that those who are silent, those who have anticipation, those who take notice, those who entrench themselves, those who wait in God shall receive strength. They shall mount up. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall faint not. They are awesome promises. But may I remind you, conditional to those who wait. The Bible says those who wait on God, that's a conditional promise. That as we wait on Him, those things are available into our lives. You wonder why things aren't happening in your life? Maybe you need to start waiting on God. Just taking that time to seek God in your life. Waiting on God fills my life with His presence. Why? It fills me up that I can overflow and not leak out and be empty. Remind yourself of this, waiting on God, it's the quality of time that matters more than the quantity. My waiting time, as I said earlier, in my own life involves reading the Bible. My waiting time involves prayer. My waiting time involves praise and worship. But it also involves times when I can just be silent. One of my greatest times that I wait on the Lord is when I'm cutting my grass. You may laugh and say it's crazy. No, because there's a noise. I can't really listen to anything. I can't do anything. But while I'm doing that, I'm just asking God just to lead me and guide me and give me direction for my life. And and I'm praying, but yet I'm just asking God just to minister to me, just that stillness, that time, just to get away. Number three, if I'm going to be full to overflow and not leak out and be empty. What do I do? I've got to read His Word. I've got to get the Bible inside of me. You know, people over this world are dying and being murdered today because they own a Bible. Just for owning a Bible, people today are being massacred and they've been murdered and martyred. Why? Because the world knows the power that there is in the Word of God. Satan knows the power of the Word of God. What a great way to fill my life with God so I will overflow. The Bible has been called, I love this, His love letter to you. The Bible has been called His manual or the manual for godly living. In other words, it's important for your life. It's important for your development. It's important for your growth. Listen to this. If you haven't heard God lately, read God. If you haven't heard God lately, read God because this is His word. Well, I don't know what to do. God hasn't told me. Read His Word. Every instruction and every need that you have can be found. I love Psalms 119. How many knows what Psalms 119 is? It's the what chapter of the Bible? The longest. Come on, say that with me. The longest. But do you know what the theme of Psalms 119 is? It talks about... The values, the benefits, the blessings that come upon those who meditate upon God's word. Read it for yourself. That's the title of the psalm. I don't believe it's by chance. It's the longest psalm because there is such truth that can be found in meditating, reading in the word of God. Psalms 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, knowing what God's word says so I can make the right decisions. Verse 11 says this, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I need to know the word of God. I need the truth of God in my life. Do I hear an amen? Psalms 119 verse 105, your word is a and a light unto my heart path, guidance and illumination for living in life. I'm telling you right now, you need to read the Word of God. However you do it, just do it. But start reading. Don't say, God, I'm going to read a whole book in one day. Just read a couple of verses. Read a chapter. There's great Bibles out there. You can get, read your Bible in a year. It breaks it up into a portion of Scripture, probably about seven to ten minutes a day. It's incredible. You read your whole Bible through in a year, and most of them that you will read Psalms and Proverbs through twice. In my daily reading, I like to read, I read three chapters from wherever I'm at in the Bible, and then I read a Psalm and a Proverb every day. That's just for my personal time. That's not for studying and other things. That's just for my time just to feed me. And so many times God has spoken to me as I've read His Word that I've been fooled up that when I came into the office I had a meeting with someone I didn't even know but that day God gave me a word for them through His Word. How awful would it have been if they sat there with their problems and I looked at them and said, what do you want me to do? But what do we do? We go to God's Word and it leads us and guides us. Come on, you've got to read the Word of God. If you want to be empty and leak out, don't bother reading God's Word. But if you want to be full with the presence of God and the power of God, which, remember, is where everything you need can be found, then you need to read God's Word so you can be full and you can overflow to those around. I know I haven't got much more time, but give me, if you would, just five more minutes. Number four, worship and praise. What a way to fill my life in praising and worshiping God. And I'm not just talking about in church. Thank God for those that have led us today. And man, did they lead us in worship and praise. But my life should be worship and praise. Wherever I go, I should worship and praise. Why? Because worship is not what we do, but worship is who we are. Worship is not what I do, it should be who I am, that my life should worship God. It's very interesting when you would look at how Satan, Lucifer, was created. He was the archangel of God. He was the choir leader of heaven. And the Bible gives his description and it talks about his very being his very form how he was made that he was pipes and he was strings what does that mean satan was like a one-man band wherever he walked along he made a noise that was praise and worship to god He abused that and he wanted to take it for himself. But I'm telling you, I want my life everywhere I go to be proclaiming the goodness and the mercy of God that I'm so full of his presence that I'm overflowing to those who have a need around me. But I can't overflow if I'm not first. Full. You see, when we worship and praise God, here's what we do. We're ascribing greatness to God. We're saying, God, you're great. You deserve the praise. If you're leaving here today and say, praise and worship didn't really do it for me, then good, because... It shouldn't. Praise and worship is not about what you get. Praise and worship is about what you give. Come on, you're looking at me strange today. Come on, we give our worship and praise. We don't get our worship and praise. If you're saying, well, I didn't really feel it today. You're not supposed to necessarily feel it. You're supposed to give it to God. And all the feelings will come, but it's a different type of feeling. Do I hear an amen? It's given to God. Given to God. But again, as Megan read out this scripture today, here's what happens when we do give to God. Luke 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given back to you. If you give God one thing, He doesn't just give you one back. He turns around and says, if you give me what you can, guess what, I'll give back to you good measure. pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In other words, God says, I'll hook a brother up. God will hook you up. When you give your praise to Him. Thank you, Lord. It's more than just music and words. Praise and worship invites Him in to your life. Look what it says in Psalms 22 verse 3. God, you're holy. That means you're incapable of doing anything wrong. That you are exactly what you say you are. That's what it means. God, you're holy. You're perfect. You're incredible. But notice That incredible, perfect, wonderful God does what? When we begin to praise, His presence comes down and He is enthroned in the praises of His people. That we literally knit Him a throne where His presence can come down and dwell. Come on, as I begin to praise God, His presence comes down and He fills my cup. Come on, He fills me and He doesn't just fill me. He fills me to overflowing. Why does He fill me to overflowing? As a waste? No, so my life can impart and touch other people and connect with other people. This week, Jimmy and Kayla were able to be full and overflowing to touch that family. Come on, what would have happened if their lives were leaking and empty? They would have had nothing to give. Nothing to give. Maybe your husband's not saved today. Your wife's not saved. Your family are not coming. Why? Because you're a leaking vessel that you're empty all the time and you're broken. But get so full of the love of God, the presence of God, the life of God. Be so full of God and His presence that your life will overflow, that will impart, that will touch other people. For the sake of time, I can't do the next two. Let me just give them to you. Number five, if you want to be full of God, be in church. Come on, be in church. Church is my passion. Church is my life. Absolutely love church. Come on, if you build his house, the promises, he'll build your house. You need to be in the house of God. You need to bring your family up in the house of God. You need to be here in the house. I said, you need to be here in the house. There's 52 dates on my calendar already that are marked off. Don't ask me to do anything on a Sunday because I know where I'm already planning to be. It's actually 102 on my calendar because you know what? I'm going to be here on a Wednesday night too. It's a given. Yeah, there's some things that come up that we have to go away, vacations or whatever, understand that. But don't be scratching your head and saying, "Uh, what do I have Sunday morning? Know what you have Sunday morning be in the house, be so full of God's presence. Come on, there's something about being around other people, isn't there? Iron sharpeneth iron. You can be having a rough week and you can come in and all of a sudden the presence of God. Ask AC about what happened to him when he came to the men's breakfast yesterday morning. He was feeling bad and his feet were bad and he was prayed for and he was healed in that service yesterday morning. Why? Because when you get around other people in the house of God, things can happen to your life. Life can change you. And last but not least, if you want your life to be full, live a life of service. Give away. Give away. Give away to God. Look at ways you can serve in the house. Look at ways you can be a part of the house. How can I be a part? How can I serve? Get involved in the nursery team. Get involved with the children's team. Be in the worship team. Come on, be in the welcome team. Be in the prayer team. Be in the limo team. Look and say, Pastor P, where can we be plugged in? Because my life is service. Because I'm telling you, when you serve, you're going to have life that flows out of you. There's a river that we see on the map, and it's called the Dead Sea. You know why it's dead? Because only things come in and nothing goes out. Because it doesn't flow through it. So if you only take in, take in, take in, take in, guess what? You're going to be dead. You're going to stink. You're going to be a stagnant cesspool. No one wants to be around that. No one's going to want to swim in something like that. But when your life is so crystal clear and there's blessings that's flowing out of you too because you're serving in the house, it's coming in one way and it's going out the other way. Come on, there's blessings that come through your life and your life will be attractive. Come on, are you leaking? Are you empty? Oh, it's dispersing water, but it's not remaining full. Or are you so full of God that your life is overflowing and you're touching other people? Come on, if you received that word today, would you stand to your feet with me this morning?